highest level of deliverance is being delivered from the requirement of deliverance. I'm going to say that again. The highest level of deliverance is being delivered from the requirement of deliverance. Let me unpack that a little bit. Many people believe in God because they know what he is able to do. So they have more faith in what he's able to do than they do in God himself. And so they, yes, they believe in God and yes, they serve God, but their service to God has requirements on it. I will serve you if you will deliver me. I'll serve you if you get me out of all the trouble I'm in. I'll serve you if, 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 if. It's a requirement. But the highest level of deliverance is being delivered from the requirement of deliverance. Now, the scripture does teach us about the delivering power of God, and it mentions three specific tenses of deliverance and then implies a fourth higher level. Let's look at the three tenses of deliverance first. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says God has delivered. That's the past. God does deliver. That's the right now. And God shall deliver. That is the future. But as you grow in your faith experience, and you encounter God's ability, his power to deliver you. If you are not careful, you will place the anchor of your faith in the deliverance instead of the deliverer. So in these rare circumstances, when you pray in faith and the deliverance does not come, a lot of people quit on God because they had more faith in the deliverance than the God that provides it. The question is, what do you do when your faith is disappointed? What do you do when you pray in faith, but it doesn't turn out the way you expected and were believing for it to turn out? And in these moments, we must keep our anchor in God and transition from faith to trust. Now, knowledge says, when we encounter a fiery trial or a difficult situation, knowledge says, based off past experience, I know he can deliver me. I've seen him do too much. This ain't my first rodeo with God. I, I know he can deliver me. Faith says, I believe he will deliver me but trust is a higher level because trust says but even if he doesn't deliver me I'm still not gonna bow and turn my heart away from God trust says I've been delivered from the requirement of deliverance and God you're worthy of my praise and my service and my honor not because of anything you've done for me you're worthy of it just because you are God. Now, Paul, who was skillful in prayer and faith, experienced this. He went through a season where he said, 
a thorn was placed in his flesh. He never describes what the thorn was. We don't know if it was a physical ailment, an emotional problem. We don't know if it was a, an issue in his life that he just couldn't get the victory over. He just called it a thorn. You can imagine the imagery of a painful thorn being lodged somewhere in your body. The instinct every moment when you got a big thorn in your body, the instinct every moment is just to get the thing out. Have you ever had something just sticking in you that you just desperately wanted to get it out and so he prayed and said God I need you to remove this thorn God didn't answer the prayer came back a second time God I need you to remove this thorn came back the third time after it wasn't answered God I need you to remove this thorn first of all why did Paul pray because Paul had past experience of God's delivering power you remember when he was preaching in Lystra and the people came and brought rocks and they threw rocks at him and stoned him until he stopped moving, drug him out of the city to the garbage pile and left him for dead? He would have died except the power of God touched him and he stood back up, went back into the city and kept preaching. Paul knew something about the power of God to deliver you. You remember when Paul and Silas were locked up in the jail cell and their hands were shackled and at midnight they began to sing praise unto God and an earthquake came and the doors of the jail burst open the shackles fell off their hands and they walked out under the delivering power of God Paul knew something about God's ability to deliver you remember when Paul was shipwrecked and the boat crashed apart in the waves of the ocean and yet Paul and his entire crew made it safety to, to safely to land Paul knew about God's ability to deliver you you remember when Paul was building that fire and a snake came out of the sticks and a venomous viper bit him and the poison was coursing through his veins but the Bible said he felt no harm and shook the snake off in the fire it's because Paul knew something about God's ability to deliver you so he's praying now based off the knowledge of past experience and knowledge says God I know you are able to deliver me I have this knowledge because I have this experience then faith says I believe that you will deliver me I believe you'll do it now because you did it back then but God's response to Paul was not in the affirmative in this instance, God simply says to Paul, crying desperate with a painful thorn in his flesh, God says, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, Paul, I'm not going to take you out of this one. I'm going to make you stand there and go through this. But I will give you something while you're going through the trial. I'll give you my grace and my strength that's made perfect in your weakness. Now, this was not the answer Paul wanted. God God was saying, I'm not going to bring you out, but I will bring you through with my grace and with my strength. So Paul has to make the transition out of faith and into trust. I didn't get what I prayed for. 
I didn't get what I was hoping for. I didn't get what I believed for and set my faith for. And yet I still trust you, Lord. So I'm standing here robbed of everything except my trust in your grace and your ability to keep me in the midst of this trial. Everybody shout trusts. In our text this morning, we have three Hebrew boys who have been captive and kidnapped by the emperor Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was an ingenious military strategist. And he was a prodigy of leadership. And, and the only thing greater than his battle tactics and his leadership abilities the only thing that surpassed those elements of his character was that he was exceptionally cruel. He didn't just want to beat you. He wanted to beat you and then torture you. By the age of 21, he succeeded his father and became the emperor of Babylon. And because of his reputation for brutality, he gained the loyalty and the favor of the Scythian army. If you know anything about your history, you know that the Scythians were the most fierce, brutal, and cruel mercenary army, one of the most in history. The Scythians were looking for a kingdom to pledge their loyalty to and pledge their army to. And when a man like Nebuchadnezzar, with his reputation for just unusual cruelty came to power they said now that's a man after our own heart the Scythians were the first ones in history that it's documented that they would take four chariots and they would that what they would conquer an army and they would take all the remaining survivors and they would lay them out on the ground they'd take four chariots and they would tie each hand to a different chariot and each foot to a different chariot and slowly make the horses pull the chariots apart and literally dismember the man while he's still alive and laugh while they did it the Scythians were ruthless. And with the support of the Scythian army, Nebuchadnezzar conquered the civilized world and became the most powerful king on earth. When this terrifying king set his target on the nation of Israel, he sieged the nation and its capital. A few faithful remnant inside the city began to pray. God deliver us why did they pray because knowledge says he's able they had past experience of God delivering them time after time after time and faith says since he did it before I believe he'll do it again and yet their prayers went unanswered Nebuchadnezzar attacked the city, destroyed the army, burned everything that they had, desecrated their temple, killed their king, and enslaved their people. And in the process, he took the young princes from, from the capital city, the brightest young minds that had been educated and built to be leaders, and he steals everything from them. He steals their land. He steals their family. He steals their freedom. And then, most horrifically, 
He forces them into his personal service. Imagine having to serve the man that kills your entire family. He forces them into his personal service. And then he makes eunuchs out of them. He takes away their manhood. Removing from them the ability to have hope in future generations and raising up seed of their own. Then to add insult to that horrific injury, finally, he steals their names. Before in their kingdom, they had been known as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But he changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And one day, while celebrating his many accomplishments, the king uses a huge furnace of fire to have a golden image of himself created. A law is decreed that whenever the music plays, everybody that heard it had to bow down and worship that image. And if you didn't bow down, they would throw you into the fire. The king finds out, however, that in the whole nation, there's three Hebrew boys Three of his personal slaves, his personal servants, that are refusing to bow down to worship the statue. Look at verse 13 of Daniel chapter 3. It starts like this, furious with rage. Now look at this. A man as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar that's taken everything from them is infuriated by something that they have done. And this is interesting to me. Nebuchadnezzar is furious with them because he hears that they're not bowing their knee in worship to the image he created. So he's furious over their knee. And he's furious over their worship. Why? Because now he wants something from them that he cannot take. Everything else he wanted from them, he just took it. Took their land, took their homes, took their parents, took their families, took their manhood, took their freedom, took everything else that he wanted. But now he wants the one thing from them that he cannot take. Because you can't take somebody's will. They have to be willing to give it to you. And so now these weak boys who have lost everything except their will are now moved to a position of strength because for the first time in their lives, they have something that the king wants and it's something that the king cannot take. I want to tell you right here, the enemy can't take everything from you. He can take some things from you, but he can't take everything from you he can never take your will and when he cannot take your will he will threaten you he will send people to try to harm you and make you fear that if you don't give it over harm's going to come to you he'll try to seduce you into giving him the one thing that he cannot take but i want to tell you never give your will away never give your will to the devil never give your will to the systems of this world Never give your will away. So he's furious with them and he says, 
in, in verse 13, uh, verse 14, he said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I set up? Verse 15, basically he's saying, I'm going to give you one more chance. When you hear the music, you better bow. If you don't bow, I am going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Now, the question is, what was the inner fortitude? What was the inner strength that allowed these three boys who had been broken all the way down and lost everything? What was it that allowed them to stand up to, number one, a king like Nebuchadnezzar with the reputation of cruelty like Nebuchadnezzar and at a time when he is furious? What was it that allowed him to do it? Some people would say faith. I say to that hogwash. Because Hebrews 11, what is faith? Hebrews 11 says faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. Well, everything these boys had hoped for had completely fallen apart. Everything they had prayed in faith for had been answered in the negative. They prayed, God, please don't let the Babylonians take my city. And the prayer was not answered. They said, God, please don't let our army be destroyed. And the prayer was not answered. They said, God, please don't let them kidnap us. And the prayer was not answered. They said, God, please don't let them make us eunuchs. And the prayer was not answered. They have nothing left to hope for, so they have nothing left to believe for so faith is off the table what do you do when faith is off the table what do you do when you've been in a season so difficult so down so rough so full of disappointment that you do not know where you stand or how you are still surviving they transitioned into trust What was the force that enabled them to stand against the king? It was simply that they had an anchor of trust in God. And so in verse 16, the text, it says they replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, that's, that, that wasn't as indignant and rebellious of them as it sounds. They've literally got to a point when they are defenseless. I ain't got nothing to lose. I'm not going to present a case to the court. I'm not going to bring a lawyer up here and try to explain why I won't bow. I have no defense. I have no answer for you for why I'm refusing to obey your laws. We, we're not going to defend ourselves in this matter. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, knowledge says the God we serve is able to deliver us. Faith says, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. How do I know it was trust? Because verse 18 says, but even if he doesn't, we still will not bow to your image. Now here's the good part of the text. Nebuchadnezzar has messed up 
because he's trying to do something that is impossible. He's trying to break the will of three real worshipers. And when you are a real worshiper, you can go through a lot of losses and a lot of pain and a lot of mourning and a lot of difficulty. You can cry a lot of tears and bleed a lot out of your body. But when you are a real worshiper of the true and living God, something is put down on the inside of you that cannot be broken. Now, let me build my case. If they were simply praisers, Nebuchadnezzar might have had a chance to break him. Because there are very few requirements on praisers. The Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Because praise is the pediatrics. It's elementary faith. Praise is simply thanking and honoring God for the things he has done. So a praiser will wake up and say, Lord, thank you that I woke up strong and healthy today. A praiser will say, Lord, I thank you I got a roof over my head. A praiser will say, Lord, I thank you I got a car to get to work. That's stuff that, that a praiser says. But a worshiper's different. A worshiper will wake up sick as a dog and say, Lord, I still want to give you the glory. I don't feel too good this morning, but my feeling has nothing to do with the fact that you're worthy of all of the honor and you're worthy of all of the glory. A praiser says, Lord, I thank you for my vehicle. A worshiper says, Lord, they repossessed the vehicle last Thursday afternoon, but standing here on my way walking to the bus stop, I just wanted to take a minute and let you know that you're worthy. God of the whole earth, you're worthy to be glorified. It's the difference in a praiser and a worshiper. In other words, Pastor Coker, Nebuchadnezzar picked the wrong three. If you was going to try to break somebody, devil, you should have picked a praiser because a praiser reserves their honor for God for the things that he does. But a worshiper honors God at all times simply because of who he is. The worshiper stands flat-footed and says, from the rising of the sun, when things are going good, to the going down of the same, when things are going bad, the name of the Lord is still worthy. Are there any worshipers in the house this morning? Are there any worshipers in the house this morning? Are there any worshipers? Everything ain't going right. No, I don't feel good. No, I don't have enough money in my bank account. Yes, my knee hurts and my back hurts. Yes, all hell's breaking loose on my job. But I got in my car with very little gas this morning and drove all the way to Christian world because no matter what's going on in my life, I know that the Lord is worthy. If you know he's worthy, you ought to glorify him right now.
Oh, you're worthy. On my good days, you're worthy. On my bad days, you're worthy. My uprising, you're worthy. My downsetting, you're worthy. Oh, Job understood this. Job's experience and knowledge told him that God had the ability to deliver him. Job's faith believed that God would deliver him. But Job transitioned from faith into trust when things got real bad and said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Because Job knew that his trust was not based on the activity of God in his life. Because whether God is active or inactive in this particular season for you, he is still God. He is still the creator. He is still almighty. He still sits on the circle of the earth with all power in his hands still worthy and and people that trust God have a different understanding of God's will and his movements people that trust God know That God is sovereign. Which means he does what he wants when he wants to. How he wants to. Regardless of what you feel about it. Simply because he is God. And just because you don't understand the purpose for it at the moment. Does not mean that there is not one. People that trust God. Understand. Sometimes it's not God's will to bring you out. I knew this would be tough preaching this morning. I said sometimes it is not God's will to bring you out. Sometimes it is God's will to take you through. But people that trust him know God never made a promise that you wouldn't go through the fire. But he did make a promise to people that trust him. He said, when you do go through the fire, I will be with you. It's why David said, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Said, are you gonna bow or not? No. I can't imagine it standing there castrated, kidnapped, lost their family, lost their land, no hope of future, no hope of children, and somebody that strong, that powerful, that that egregious standing up and saying, You gonna bow or not? They still had the ability to say no. And as I started studying and researching it, Pastor John, I said crying in my heart because I tried to identify with what they were going through and how they felt and what they were facing and I cried out in my heart and I said God where are you we don't see God no we don't see him chase when Israel was sieged when their army was attacked when their kingdom was destroyed when the temple was burned down when they were kidnapped when they were made eunuchs or when they were made Nebuchadnezzar's personal slaves don't ever see God never see one thing from God 
We don't see anything from God until Nebuchadnezzar said, uh, heat that furnace up. Seven times hotter. I like it because in the text, when it gets the hottest. That's when he starts showing up. When it gets seven times hotter, the king asks a question as he's making it seven times hotter. Now I want you to consider this question. The king asked them a question. Oh, you ain't going to bow? Heat that furnace up seven times. Oh, you think your God can deliver you? Let me ask you. Heat this furnace up seven times hotter. And listen to his question. And who is the God? I just want to tell all my enemies that's a bad question to ask my daddy. That's a bad, if you want to meet him, he'll show you who he is. That's a bad question. I want to tell all my haters that's a bad question. That's a bad question. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? In other words, he was saying, yeah, I hear all your faith that your God's able to deliver you. But when I heat this thing up seven times hotter, I want to ask you, who's going to deliver you? from my hand or what difference will your trust make yeah you feel that what difference will your trust make anyway and they came back and they said king we heated that thing up so hot and we can't even get near it he said y'all a bunch of wimps bring me my two best soldiers of the scythian army so them big bad barbarians with all their armor and shields and everything on came up and the Scythians bound Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and then picked them up I imagine they just had one under each arm you know just carrying them but God started to answer that question old Nebuchadnezzar had what difference what what yeah 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 what what do you see it what 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 difference will your trust make? Or in other words, what difference does it make between the people that trust in God and the people that don't when you got a fire this hot? The enemy will tell you, I'll leave all that crazy stuff church at church. What's that really going to matter when the finances are on fire this hot? What difference is all that faith stuff going to make when your health is on fire and it's this hot? What difference is all that preaching stuff going to make when your marriage is on fire and it is this hot? What difference is it going to make in the courtroom? What difference is it going to make in the school when you're sitting down meeting with the principal and the administrator because your kid's going crazy? What difference is it going to make? And the difference started when the Scythian barbarians got close enough to the fire to throw them in, the fire on the outside of the furnace was so hot that it killed the Scythians while they were throwing the Hebrew boys in. So the Hebrew boys are rolling around bound in the fire thrown in by the Scythians. And yes, they are in the fire. And yes, they are bound. But the Scythians that were exposed to the same fire were dead. And that right there is the first difference. There's a whole lot of us this morning that are going through the fire. But the fire we're going through right now has killed a whole lot of people because they didn't have trust in God. But because
We know in whom we have believed. We know in whom we have placed our trust. We're able to roll around in something that burns up everybody else. Oh, I wish I could get somebody to give him glory right there. Have you ever lived through something that burned up everybody else? You ought to give him glory right where you stand. Oh, yeah, you ought to give him glory. Yeah, you ought to give him. That's the difference between us and them. That's the difference between trusting God. That's the difference. Because trust in God makes you a fire walker. It enables you to walk around in what destroys everybody else. I wish I just had 20 people that would give God some worship and glory in this place that know what it's like to be in the fire and yet not be destroyed. Oh, you ought to shout. Oh, you ought to holler. The enemy's been asking some of you, what difference does it make? You ought to give the enemy a loud shout to hear that you're still alive in the middle of his hottest fire. Take a second and give God an I'm still here shout. with you I understand what you're going through I've had the year from hell myself but I want you to stop and consider something while you're complaining about the heat have you noticed you're still alive and you're still strong enough to be complaining about what you're going through when there's a whole lot of people that didn't wake up last March because the fire got so intense it took them out God has sustained you God has preserved you God has you in the fire well, I gotta be careful I'm about to lose control of myself I started thinking back at all of the flames that I've been through this year and all of the things that I've been through this year and I want to tell you it's amazing that I'm still here it's amazing that you're still here it's amazing that we're still here it's amazing just three people say I'm a fire walker I'm a fire walker I'm a fire walker I'm a fire walker
out there just a minute. I got to do one more thing. Bishop, I got to studying God's deliverance in the Old Testament. And I realized all through the Old Testament, he was delivering his people. Because they stood in faith. But here's the thing. He never showed up personally to do the deliverance. I'll let you think about that. All through the Old Testament, Moses at the Red Sea, the word of the Lord came, stretch out your rod. In faith, Moses stretched out the rod. Because faith believes he will do it, right? Moses stretched out the rod, the waters parted. God delivered him. They got over there, didn't have nothing to drink. Word of the Lord came to Moses, and faith comes by hearing the word of the Lord. Word of the Lord came to Moses, said, take your rod, strike the rock. And the Bible says enough water came out of that rock to quench the thirst of a million and a half people. God delivered them again. They got hungry, didn't have nothing to eat. God caused quail to blow in when they were starving. He delivered them again. But all through the Old Testament, I mean, he delivered Israel's nation several times from marauding armies and all kind of things. But he never did it personally. Because faith will attract his power. But trust will attract his presence. And when these boys were rolling around in that fire, robbed of everything except their trust in God, God got up off his throne. He said, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to deal with this personally. And then, last thing I want to tell you. Don't go slow on me. Just, just stop for a minute. Last thing I want to tell you. There's two things. If you read the text, I want to preach so bad. My eyeballs are itching. If you read the text, there's two things that the Hebrew boys need to be delivered from. Number one is the fire, Pastor John. But number two is the king's hand. Because he said, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And uh, what God can deliver you from my hand? In other words, if somehow you make it out of the fire, I'm still going to be standing here. Let me give you a real world practical example for your consideration. You have a boss named Miss Sally. Miss Sally don't like you. And she tries to fire you in January. But she doesn't have the documents or the paperwork necessary, so she fails. In January, you've been delivered from the fire. But you've not been delivered from her hand because she's going to try to fire you again in March. So it's one thing to be delivered from the fire. It's something else altogether to be delivered from the king's hand. 
So God's sitting up in heaven watching those boys that trust him go through the fire. And he said, we got to do two things. Number one, we got to deliver them from the fire. But number two, we got to do something so strong and powerful that will cause them to be delivered from the king's hand. And whenever God wants to pull out his biggest guns, whenever God wants to show off his greatest attributes, he reaches for the name that is above all names. He reaches for the name that has been highly exalted above every other name given in heaven or in earth. He reaches for Jesus. Let me get a little muddy on you. There's a theological principle called the Christophany. And it means that since Jesus exists in eternity, that he has always existed in eternity. And that even before the New Testament where he was born, he would take on flesh and appear in the Old Testament because he is an eternal Jesus. We believe in our theology that Melchizedek the high priest was a Christophany, a physical representation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So when Nebuchadnezzar threw them boys in the fire and God knew I got to get them out of the fire and I got to get them out from underneath his hand, God reached for his biggest guns and he sent the Son of God Jesus the righteous to walk down in the fire with them. And the physical presence of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, hallelujah. The ancient of days, the almighty one, who the word in the beginning, when his physical presence started walking down around in that fire. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar melted, as it were. One sentence earlier. That's how quick God can turn your enemies and your haters. One sentence earlier. What God is it that's going to deliver you from my hand? He sees the physical presence of Jesus walking around in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar gets on his knees. Because there's still a scripture somewhere over in your New Testament epistles that says every Oh, you're tired. You don't hear me no more. I said every knee will bow. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the Every knee will bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord and Nebuchadnezzar. I think it's so funny. He's telling them, I'm going to kill you if you don't get on your knees. Next thing, he's on his knees. I don't know who it's for, but God told me to tell 30 people he's about to turn it completely around. Whatever it is, however hot the fire is, he's about to turn it completely around. I wish you'd get on your feet, turn around three times as an act of faith, and get
Now it's time to get to the prophetic. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26, then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High. Really, he's given Jesus the praise. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never told him about the Most High. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't raised in Judaism, you know. He took one look at Jesus and said, he's higher than anything, any God, any force, any power I've ever seen. He is the most high. Uh, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so verse, end of verse 26, so Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego, end of verse 26, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, end of verse 26, so Shadrach, Meshach, and, and whatever your name is. Whatever your name is came out of the fire. God sent me here to tell you it is the season and time finally for you to come out of the fire. Fire in your marriage, fire with your children, fire in your finances, fire! It's the season for you to come out of the fire! Now if I was time sensitive, I would bless you, pray for you, take up an offering and let you go. But I don't care. I'm going to give this thing the way I feel. Because we've been in the fire, some of us. See, I always know who I'm talking to and who I ain't talking to. And if I ain't talking to you, don't worry about it. There's somebody in here that knows what I'm saying. We've been in the fire, some of us, all year long. We ain't been destroyed, but we ain't been let out either. And through it all, we maintained our trust in God. Even when it seemed like faith wasn't working. Instead of quitting on God and leaving the church, we turned faith into trust and said, I'll stand here anyway in this fire. I'll never bow. I'll never go against you. I believe you're able. But. Fire is a type of refinement, purification, meaning I'll let it get so hot in your life that the impurities rise to the top and drain off. That's what happens when you're melting down gold. When it gets hot enough, the impurities rise to the top and drain off over the side of the bucket. In other words, 
when I'm getting ready to elevate you, promote you, add strength to you, add power to you, take you into a new realm of influence. When I'm getting ready to do all of that, first, I'll heat things up on you. I'll send you through something that's so hot you think you are going to be destroyed. What you thought was the enemy sending attacks against you to kill you? You've been blaming the wrong one. It was God allowing you to go through the fire to burn the impurities away so that when you come out yeah, yeah. when it's not if when you come I said it's not if I said when you it's, I, I got, it's not if it's when you come out There will be a purity and a quality and a value that you wouldn't have had without the fire. God prepared me to come preach this word to you. He started the preparation process with two words. When God gives me something to share with you, it's like a word or a concept or a thought will swell so deep in my spirit. I can't sleep. I can't think. It messes with my conversations. I can't go anywhere real deep in my mind because I get consumed and I get mad at him sometimes saying I got to live life too. I got things I have to do. I have to function in family and other areas. I got you got to and he just keeps swelling it and swelling it and swelling it. And he started this whole message by telling me he wanted me to tell you two words. Everybody on fire. Everybody feeling the heat. Everybody feeling it seven times hotter this year than it has ever been before. God gave me two. Two words. And I put the rest of the message up the way I did to be able to get to this point, to be able to tell you these two words in hopes that they would pierce your spirit. And stick in your heart. Two words. God said, tell them. They're going through the fire. Tell them. Just, just, just tell them two. Just two words. Just two words. Trust me.
you came through all you came through. And you've prayed and you've cried and you said, God, I need you to speak. And God grabbed me and set me apart and chose me and sanctified me and gave me an ear to hear his spirit and did all that for me and hid my flesh and hid my issues and hid my crazy and kept me covered and kept me healthy and kept me alive and brought me in here today to give you the answer to what you prayed. I don't know what you prayed, but whatever it is, the response from God is this. With your marriage, with your children, with your finances, with your job, with your health, whatever it is, he just, he just, he just said, Jason, tell him, just, just trust me. hands and you begin to glorify him, you may begin to feel in your own spirit that gentle, still, small voice of the Father confirming his word to you, just, just saying, just saying, trust me. call out to him right now you ought to open up your mouth and lift up your voice all over this room I know it's hot I know there's pain I know there's difficulty I know there's things on fire but you ought to worship him because people that trust him worship him at all times and while faith may bring his power worship and trust will bring his presence little they said trust in the Lord with all thine heart lean not to your own understanding you ought to lift your hands in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path Say that trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all thine heart, lean not. In all thy ways, oh, acknowledge him and he will direct. Lift up your hands all over the and say, I will. That Candace. Oh, Why the rock of the age, and I will trust in you. Oh, 
Sing it with me, everybody. I will trust in you always. Oh, ancient of days. Oh, ancient of days. For you are the rock of the age. I want you, my prayer, I ask God, I ask God, and I feel him doing it now, so interesting, I ask God to seal and bind up this word in your spirit, and just cause it to swell in you. That you'd go home thinking about it, you'd go home and study it, you'd get back on Facebook Live or live stream and watch it again and get it in your spirit. But the most important part is trust me. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would give us the grace to trust. And have a but even if he doesn't in our spirit and know that you're able to bring us through in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name we thank you for it take take a few seconds right where you are and just give him praise all over the house